Hi there, a quick note before the episode begins. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Miha on the Mic, where me, Miha, interviews daughters of immigrants and immigrants themselves and refugees and daughters of refugees who are making moves in their industries around the world. This month, we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. So today, I'm so excited to invite Pam Covarrubias, a.k.a. Café con Pam. Pam is the founder of Power Sisters, a coaching and wellness platform to inspire women of color to take action to make the world a better place. She's also the creator of the hit bilingual Latine inspirational podcast, Café con Pam. I have so much I want to talk about because we actually met in person only once, I think. And it was at She Podcast in Atlanta in 2019 when I just started my company. Like it was, like, I think, like maybe two weeks after I started Ochenta. Wow. Yeah, it was um, my first ever live show of Miha. And it was like, thank you so much to Elsie Escobar for like trusting me and like really believing in the project because I was like a nobody and nobody knew anything about this random girl from Queens who lives in Paris, who wants to do this podcast in three languages, like what? And so I connected so much with you as well, because it was just so cool to just meet other Latina podcasters and other creators who are doing this amazing podcasting thing. And so I'm just like in awe of how much has happened since 2019, right? I saw that you have over 300 episodes of your podcast now. Yeah, we have 320. Oh my gosh. Um, so I want to get into all of that about your podcast, but I first want to start off with telling me a little bit about your cultura. So tell me about your background, how you grew up speaking Spanish, not speaking Spanish. What What is your relationship with your, with your identity? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. That's been such a fun journey. I am Mexican. I was born in the U.S. So I'm a backwards immigrant. I always say I'm a flipped immigrant because I was born in the U.S. in L.A., California. And my dad didn't like living in the US. And so my mom was like, well, I want my kids to be born here because somewhere, somehow she knew about the privilege that that is. And she had, my mom had lived in the US before. She's from the Northern part of Mexico, which is very like border, like you cross all the time. And so my dad was like, no, I don't want to live in the US. So I was born here, moved back to Mexico. I grew up in Mexico, in Mexico City for the majority of my life, my sister was born here and my brother wasn't. And so I was 
a lot of back and forth between Mexico and the U.S. My parents got divorced. My mom is like, all right, I'm taking the kids back to this other country. So we moved back to the U.S. when I was like 13 to 15. And then my mom couldn't handle me, sent me back to Mexico, <laughs> finished high school, and then came back to the U.S. for college. Wow. So you've just been jumping back and forth. It's been a fun time. <laughs> Which feels most like home to you? Mm, I don't know anymore, frankly. I think right now I was doing the math with my brother recently, and I have been in both countries the same amount of time. And so right now, in this moment, I don't feel like anything is home. Okay. Home where I'm currently. And so, okay, yeah. But it's been like the identity piece has been a fun journey to explore because I've having grown up in Mexico City. I've never had to question who I am until I get to the U.S. Then I have to check a box or many boxes, whatever applies. But I think before, because I've always been Pamco Arrubias in, in La Ciudad de Mexico and I've never that's never been really questioned because you're, you know, you're who you are. When I come to the U.S. has been something that's not I don't know. I, I, I've not questioned it. I don't feel like I need to prove anything because I know who I am. And it's a little weird. So I guess it's, you know, you're Mexican, Mexican in Mexico and then Mexican American in the States. <laughs> I guess. But <laughs> I'm always Mexicana, you know, like I claim the Latina thing because that's kind of like the accepted label. But ultimately, I'm, I'm more Mexican than the Nopal. O sea. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so tell me about growing up with that, because it feels like you've been between the two places. Like, can you give me a little bit of a maybe a little snapshot of what it would be like? And, you know, as a kid at breakfast, you're speaking which language? What is that? What are you eating? Yeah, no, I grew up as, uh, hablando español siempre. My mom always wanted to make sure that we learned, write and spoke Spanish. And so that's why she would send us to to school in Mexico. When we lived here, we would go to Mexico for the summer. So we wouldn't forget how to speak Spanish. And I think all of that, of course, it stems from the classism that exists still with the colonial language that Spanish and English are. And so in a way, she didn't want us to speak pocho, you know, like the half like not quote proper Spanish, because my cousin's doing it in the US. And so her, someone being from the city, she was like, you know, I think speaking, quote, proper Spanish, quote, whatever that means, it's just going to open more opportunities than not being able to write it or read it or speak it or whatever. And so I always grew up with Espanol. Incluso she would she would get mad if we would Spanglish, actually, because she would be like, either you speak one or the other. <laughs> but now I think we, I Spanglish so much that she's like, okay, fine, whatever. You're an adult. Do whatever you want. But it was really interesting to, to speak Espanol. Pero when it came to English, I didn't want anyone to make fun of me like they made fun of my mom's accent. And so I completely removed my accent because arguably I learned English later in life. So I could have an, a very, very thick accent, but I really tried really hard. So I wasn't almost like pointed, you know, when, when I wanted to make sure that when people heard me, it wasn't like, oh, you're not from here. 
you wanted to fit in wherever you were kind of thing. It's so, it's so interesting because everyone has this very different relationship with their parents' language and their own language as well when they're growing up in the States or in a country that's not their primary cultural country. Um, and it's particular for Mexican Americans, I think, from what I've seen is that you have that relationship that's so close to Mexico and yet so many Latinos in on the West Coast, for example, have these different relationships with Spanish because of the political thing where they didn't want their kids to have accents or all of that. So it's really interesting because it's really it's just such an individual experience, right? I wonder how that kind of translates to your work, because I know you decided to make your show kind of bilingual and kind of Spanglish. How have you kind of balanced that out in, in your work and, and brought it to the, the different kinds of projects that you do? Yeah, I made the deliberate choice to do my show in English, majority English. It's about 80% English. I Spanglish a lot because a lot of my guests are bilingual. And so I, yeah, I sprinkle Spanish here and there. I am very, this probably 2024, I'm going to do more content in Espanol because I've realized that people want it. And literally I've taught classes in Espanol y la gente, they come back to me and they're like, why can't we find anything in Espanol? And I'm like, I don't know, because I didn't think you could care. And so, yeah, I made the decision to do Café con Pam in English because I thought when I started listening to podcasts, the podcasts I would listen to were, were in English. And I wanted to hear the stories of people like me, kind of like in the same language. And I almost, in a way, now that I'm thinking about it, in a way I felt like... In Espanol, sharing the stories of people like me in Espanol was like not necessarily so much of a need than it was in English for first, second, third gens. And so that's kind of like how, why I started that. Yeah. So, and now there's this discourse around, well, wait, we, we need that content too, because Spanish podcasting is blowing up too. And there's a need for stories like ours. So I know I love to hear it. I've always been a fan of your show because of that. You have all this, this range of experiences that you're sharing. Um, for those of our listeners who don't know Café con Pam, can you kind of describe like the vibe of the show and like what really inspired you to make it? Yes. It's a weekly show. I interview Latine and people of the global majority who break barriers, change lives and make the world a better place. And I bring people from Every single experience from your middle school teacher all the way to renowned authors and people that have done awesome things. I started the show oh, 2016. It's been a long time. And it was because I was traveling for work and by myself. And so I wanted to feel like I was with people. And so I would listen to interview-based podcasts. And at the time, I mean, think 2013, because that's actually when it was, I was doing this. 2013, the podcasts that were interview-based were only looked a certain way. And the dominant authority that was, which I would argue that still is in the podcast world, was white, cis, and male. And so... The very few times when I would hear people like me, the questions would be really lame. And I would find myself like arguing with the host, like, why didn't you ask this? Or why didn't you follow up with this, you know, on, on the airplane? And three years, it took me three years, Lori. 2013, I was like, oh, I want to hear a podcast that only interviews people of color. And I waited and I waited 
And then 2016 comes and I'm like, well, I guess nobody's going to do this. So (laughs) it's mine to do. And that's how it started. It started as a very selfish project because I wanted to hear stories of people like me. And now it's become a community project because I've tried quitting so many times and people are like, you cannot. (laughs) That's amazing. No, and it's longevity. You're one of the OG podcasters. You can actually say that. What has been one of the most difficult things about building that community? Because like you said, you started from zero and you didn't have anybody to kind of inspire you. I came into the game in 2019. So I had I had your show to look up to when I first started. And and yeah, you know, I imagine how how difficult it must have been to be like, I'm going to be the first one to do this. Did you feel imposter syndrome? Oh, to this day. All the time. I think one of the most difficult parts was to believe that people cared because I, I mean, I started because I wanted to hear those stories. And so it, it's, it really was like, I want to hear those stories and I guess I'll make them public for whoever wants to hear them. And I think it's been keeping the mindset of people do care. And reminding myself that I'm getting the messages from people every day saying, hey, we do want to hear more stories or I really love this interview or I truly resonated with whatever quote so-and-so said. I mean, that's something that I have to remind myself that it's that my work is making a difference. Like I, I realized later, years later, that we are rewriting history from our voices, which is kind of cool. Can you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean by rewriting history? Well, I think we grow up reading history books that come from one lens. And me having the privilege and the responsibility now that I think I don't take it lightly to have a microphone and a platform that allows people to share their story from their voice is is big because if we were to, you know, I don't know when the world's going to end, but like if we were to look at the year 3000 and somebody was to, to say, Oh, I wonder what people were doing in the 20, in the 2000s. And they come across <laughs> one of Cafe Kebab's shows. They'll get to hear the stories from that human's perspective instead of somebody who chose to write it. I love that. I like the idea of also looking towards the future. And I have a question for you because a lot of the guests that we've had on the show, we always talk about, you know, the differences between generations and how we all kind of view the question of culture. I find personally, and maybe we can, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I find that this new generation coming up, they have less issues with like, you know, accepting and like presenting their identity culturally. Whereas we really had to fight like, I mean, you millennials really had to fight for, okay, no, I'm hyphenated and let me be that and let me have my representation on my TV show. But now, now there's, you know, we're gotten to a point, not that it's not that we don't have to continue fighting for that kind of representation because we do, but it feels like the next generation's issues won't be the same. Like they are going to be asking themselves different questions. So my question to you would be, you know, in the year 2050, what do you think the experience of like a Latina in the U.S. will be? This is interesting because I recently had a conversation about this specifically because I was talking to a Gen Xer. I'm a millennial and they were talking about an entitled generation. And so I think, and I'll, I'll answer the question about the 2050, but I think we have to, every generation has to come into that conversation with their own biases and understanding of what they are. Because yes, for me as a millennial, or we come from the mentality of, you know, boomers hired us. And so they come from the thing of you have to 
pay your dues and you have to take your spot or earn your spot. And so then millennials in some way were like, well, do we have to earn our spot? And then Gen Z's come and they're like, no, we don't. We already have a spot. We deserve it. You know? <laughs> and, so, and so I think it's important to also witness the evolution of all of our, how we show up into the world. And so how do people will show up in 2050? I think the conversation is going to be more about, this is what I would love to see. Boards are going to be diverse. CEOs are going to be diverse. Like I think at that point, we don't need to have any more, we need more diversity conversations. But instead, how do we continue to provide opportunities for those who may not have them? Because we already have seats at the table, because we already have built the table for us. We've built many tables. And so how do we continue to open doors in ways that are supportive to everyone? How do we continue to embrace rest? I think the, the year 2050 is going to be very much about do the work that you need to do and that you love it. Because, you know, abundance is everywhere. This is like my hopeless romantic <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you don't have a you don't have a doom and gloom perspective of 2050. No, That's I don't think so. I think it's possible to to have fun and do fun things. I also like that you you know you went in that direction also in your answer and looking towards the future. You're always kind of having this very positive mindset. So I do want to get into the kind of things that you recommend to people who listen to your show. I think one of the things that really drew me to your content is that it's so positive and it's that you're really looking to inspire women to find themselves and kind of take that step to do something better and be better themselves. And there are a couple of things that you do. I know the tapping thing is one thing that I've, I've seen a couple of times. Could you explain that and maybe even show it to our listeners, like do a little kind of breakdown of what that is? Yes. Tapping. Oh, how fun. So I discovered tapping oof, in the early 2000s when I was in college, because I realized I was a procrastinator and I thought my brain was broken. And so I went into this rabbit hole of looking for tools to help me not be broken. Then I realized I had ADHD, which my brain is not broken. It's just wired different. And tapping, what it did is it allowed me to get to a place of calmness, which when I practiced it for the first time, I realized that I was in a very fight or flight state at all times because of many reasons, trauma, living in a different country, having to code switch, many, many, many layers. And so I fell in love with tapping. I got trained on it. I was doing different trainings and, and getting, you know, learning more and more about it, but I never shared it because it was something that was kind of like my thing that helped me. And then the pandemic hit and I, I've always thought what is my role in this place? I didn't know what to do when this happened, but I could tap. And so that's when I kind of like came out with tapping on social media. And I said, well, I have this tool that has helped me for a long time, for like 15 years. Let me share it with you and let's regulate our nervous system. So tapping is the official name is emotional freedom techniques. It's EFT. And it's rooted in three main principles. Traditional Chinese medicine. So we use the meridians that... TCM uses. So our body is full of nervous system. Our nervous system is full of different endings in our body. So we tap on it. It's acupuncture with with the, your fingers or acupressure, I guess. Um, NLP, neurolinguistic programming, because we use words to rewire our brain and energy psychology. And so those three principles, 
they create this tool. It's a self-help tool. Anyone can do it. And it's called also known, it's EFT, also known as tapping. The main thing that tapping does is it allows your nervous system to be regulated. We live in a world where we get anywhere between four and 10,000 advertisements, notifications, et cetera, every day. And so our nervous system is constantly in fight or flight mode because our brains haven't evolved to understand that it's just an email. It's not a tiger chasing you, right? And so what EFT allows us to do is we first, we get to a place of regulation, where our amygdala, which is our alert system in our brain, says, oh, you know what? Danger is not here. And then once we are regulated, we are able to make decisions from a grounded place instead of from a frantic and like scared place, which many times we do. And so, so I'll teach you the very quick points that we can do. And tapping, we use the side of the hand. So it's literally, it used to be called the karate chop point, but we don't call that anymore. We just call it the side of the hand. And we always use our fingers. We can tap on the top of our head with just our fingers, our eyebrow points, which is the beginning of our eyebrows. My favorite point, I'm not going to go through all the points, but my favorite point is the collarbone. So basically you touch your little two dots that we have on our, on our neck and you go down about two inches and a little bit out and we just have to tap on our chest right here on our, it's right below the clavicle if we want to be <laughs> technical. And so this is a point that for me, it calms me down so much. And another thing that's really fun about tapping is that we naturally tap all the time. So if we think about when we are, when we get frightened or when something happens, we touch our chest like, <gasps> you know, and that is a form of self-soothing that humans naturally do it. Kids do it all the time. Also, when we're thinking, we put our, we tend to put our, our hand right here, or we like sometimes do it in different parts of our face because that is a form of self-soothing that we don't realize, but it's, we're doing it. That's incredible. I had never really thought about it. And when I saw it, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. And I love that you're using it also to, to recommend something to other daughters of immigrants and who are experiencing these things like generational trauma and as a healing tool, right? I know that you have uh, Power Sisters as part of your, your projects, your many, many projects that you have ongoing. Could you tell us about that and how you've developed it? And maybe you can go into how it's developing in the next couple of months, years. Yes. So Power Sisters started because I, with my ADHD, one of the things that actually helped me get things done was accountability. And it started with my best friend in college, my best friend, Megan. We said one day, let's go for a run. And for me, I'm like, mm. and so <laughs> running was hard for me. But one thing that she did, she would literally come to my door, knock on the door, dressed and be like, I'm not leaving until we go for a run. And we just have to do one mile. Like, that's it. We just have to like, just get there. And Anytime she would come and knock on my door, I would get up and run, even though I hated it and I didn't want to do it. And I was huffing and puffing and like complaining the whole time, but I would get it done. And so that's when I realized that accountability is really powerful. And then reading different studies, because, you know, I go into rabbit holes. I realized that when you have a standing appointment with someone and you let them know that you're going to do something by a certain time and day, you have 90% chances of getting it done. Versus just saying it to someone and not having a standing appointment, you get 60% chances. So it goes from 60% to 90%. And so that's when I realized accountability is really key to getting things done. 
So I launched Power Sisters, which was a group coaching program focused on productivity and accountability, where I would pair people with their own power sister. So it was this like series of questions that I would ask people. And then based on whatever answers they gave, I would say, okay, well, you are similar to this person. You have similar goals. Let me pair you up. That's your power sister. And that was the core of Power Sisters was an accountability program. And then it grew and evolved. And then I started tapping. So I, I introduced tapping to it. And super fun because there's Power Sisters to this day that have been in the program since the beginning. And I'm like, how many iterations of Power Sisters have you seen? And they're like, look, we lost counting, but we're still here. And so it's been a super fun program. In early 2023, I had big goals for Power Sisters. And then I started evaluating how I was feeling and how my energy levels were and how my time was being spent. And I decided to close Power Sisters. And so, which I think the next iteration of what's going to come, it's still going to be rooted a lot in accountability. Well, one thing I'm not going to do is pair people up. I think... I can provide the tools for people to go find their own power sister, have a whole workshop on how to find your power sister. And that could allow people to self-responsibility. It's still something incredible that you built over many years, no matter where it ends up going. I, I wish for all the best for the next iteration of it, though, because it sounds like something that really built a community and I think inspired a lot of people. I'm curious to know if you felt like your cultural background maybe inspired you a little bit in in creating this kind of um, platform. I think we come from community culture. And I think a lot of the times I see a lot of Latina and entrepreneurs and founders always trying to kind of build community. How has your work been inspired by your Latinidad? I don't know if I could do anything without it. I think I live in a multi-generational household currently. And I grew up in one too. So I grew up with my grandmother and my dad lived there. And so I've my whole life, I've been in multi-generational households, which has, I think, allowed me to see a way to see the world. I always bring that, all of those parts of me to my work. And when it comes to building anything, I bring that with me. And I think that's been one of the things that people have appreciated because I talk about it all the time. And so it's not, we don't separate, or I, I can't actually separate the daughter of immigrant and the business owner in the U.S. Because I'm also the first one in my family to start a business in the U.S. My mom had a business in, in Mexico, but I'm the first one in my family to start a business in the U.S., which is also comes from a different layer of surviving. Because I, I can't ask my mom like, oh, well, how did you, do? you know, I talk to friends sometimes that have that are like Americans a good friend of mine for example like her dad like had a successful business and so she's always like yeah I'm gonna talk to my dad about it and I'm like you know must be nice but I don't and so <laughs> I think that's why I bring that element of community all the time and bringing other people like me so that we can have those conversations because we don't have the models the immediate models in our family that we can just pick up the phone and call. We have to almost build them and we have to almost attract them and we have to, we have to be them also. That's so true. Oh, it must be nice. <laughs> it's my favorite thing you've ever said. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're, we're coming to the end here. I do want to ask you about, um, you know, this is a long journey that you've been on with Cafe Con Pam and it's obviously no stopping it now. Right. 
What are you the most proud of in that podcasting journey and that storytelling journey that you've done for Latinas? I am most proud of my consistency because if I were to look back at my work from 2016, I quit my, my corporate job in 2017. Gafa has been the most consistent thing I've done since 2016. And I'm really proud of that because despite the many doors I had closed many times, because nobody knew what a podcast was, because I didn't have enough listeners, because who wants to hear a bilingual podcast? Because it's been done before or it's never been done before. You know, all those different obstacles that have been put in front of me, I'm still kind of going because I, I believe in now, I believe more in the mission of what Cafe Compam is. So I'm proud of that. And for the listeners, just for sticking around from all the changes. <laughs> they followed the evolution. Yes. And they kept drinking cafecito. They kept drinking. That's beautiful. <laughs> Some have quit, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some have quit they switched to tea. They switched to tea. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so we're now coming to the very, very end. We usually do a speed round of questions. Um, you just answer as quickly as you can. First thing that comes to mind, uh, it's the Miha speed round, okay? All right, so what language do you swear in when you accidentally touch a hot plate? Espanol. What's your favorite food? Oof, sushi. Song you've had in your head this week? Probably Carol G. Ooh, mañana será bonito. What's your favorite snack to have with cafecito? A concha. A Mexican concha, to clarify for the art. <laughs> What's your last Google search that you're comfortable sharing? Uh, I actually searched myself. So I added a Google alert for Cafe Compa. I realized I didn't have one. <laughs> Shame on me. Very professional <laughs> Google search answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is your biggest dream? To grow Cafe Compa to be the place where people look for resources, support, and inspiration. Thank you so much for your time. And now tell us where we can find you, where we can listen to the show. Yes, at Cafe Con Pam Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, cafeconpam.com. And that's where you can find all the places and things. One last thought for our mijas out there. What's your advice to daughters of immigrants who are, you know, maybe questioning whether or not to take the next step in their big, big dream project? I would say your voice has power. Take one tiny step. And even if it's given yourself five minutes, if you could do one thing, five minutes to do the next thing to get you to whatever you want to go, just give yourself five minutes and take one tiny step. And if it still feels big, I would say break it down even more. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This is Miha on the Mic, a season of reflection on our shared experiences as daughters of immigrants. Over the next couple of weeks, I'll be sharing stories like these and inviting guests to share theirs. Follow us on Instagram at Miha Podcast, that's M-I-J-A Podcast, and leave us a note if you like this story. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode. This is a production of Studio Ochenta, a Latina-owned multilingual podcast studio dedicated to raising voices across cultures. For more from Studio Ochenta, follow us at Ochenta Podcasts on Instagram. That's O-C-H-E-N-T-A podcast with an S on Instagram. P.S. Don't forget this season is also about you. If you have a story you'd like to share or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I invite you to reach out on Instagram at Miha Podcast and leave us a message with a short story or memory of yours that warms your heart. We'll read it out loud on the show. 
Hasta pronto. Chao. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you know that Mija has her own audiobook with exclusive and brand new material? It's called Mija Podcast, the audiobook, an exclusive and never-before-heard collection of memoirs and reflections by her creator, Lori Martinez, about what it meant to turn her own migration story into a fiction series. When you get Ochenta's audiobooks, you're directly supporting our independent audio series productions. You can find it on Libro.fm, Apple Books, Google Play, Storytel, BookBeat, and on your favorite audiobooks app. Also available in Spanish and French.